0: Titus 2, verse number 11, this is a very popular preaching text, I've preached on it before, a little bit different topics before, but uh, you've heard it preached, uh, but it's certainly worth preaching on it again. Verse number 11 says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, Let no man despise thee. Verse 15 really answers the ditches that we see on both sides of this text. We have the ditch on one side that promotes a legalistic view of grace, and then we have a ditch on the other side that is a liberal, licentious view of the grace of God. Our text that we just read answers both sides of that equation. If you're saved here this morning, you're saved by the grace of God. And that grace of God that saved you, it also changed you. And grace is not a license to sin, but rather it is a, it is a power to help us against the, uh, the horrible power of sin. What I want to preach this morning is what's so amazing about grace. We just sang about it, a song that you probably sang by heart, many of you were so accustomed to it. I know oftentimes I sing it anymore and I fail to let the words really get to my heart. I tried to make a conscious effort this morning while we were singing it to really think about what the word said, to refresh it in my mind and not take it for granted. And I can say when we do that with things that are true and things that are right, uh, it can stir some feelings if we just allow ourselves to not get complacent and get too familiar ...with certain truths. But really the question is a great question. What is so amazing about grace? That's what we're going to talk about here this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you asking for your blessings... ...for uh, your, your power, for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we sang about amazing grace. John Newton certainly believed that your grace was amazing. Lord, I was praying this morning, as you recall... Lord, talking about just the grace of God that you've extended in my life and the changes that you've made, and Lord, I can confess to you here this morning publicly that it was grace that taught my heart to fear, and it was grace that uh, relieved my fears. And I thank you for that verse and for that truth, for that experience. Lord, I'm asking you to, to do something with this message here this morning. Maybe bring somebody to a saving knowledge of you. Perhaps a believer who's already saved but has gotten complacent and taken the grace of God for granted, taken you for granted. And God, just have your will and way in our hearts and lives, we pray. Bless the young people in junior church. Pray that you'd speak to their hearts. And Lord, we're asking you that someone would get saved as a result of the preaching and teaching and the worshiping that goes on here this morning. We're asking it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the story of John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, how that he was a very wicked man. I mean, he was a liar and a drunk and he had a foul mouth and he had all of the things that go along with wickedness, but he was also a slave trader and he was involved in the debauchery of, uh, and the violence and the abuse of many many men as he was involved in that particular trade and how that he was out on a ship a slave trading ship and a storm came up and it looked as if the ship was in peril that was going to be destroyed by that storm and he cried out to God and he didn't know much about God he didn't know much about the gospel but in his desperation he cried out to God and he said God if you'll Save me from this, I'll dedicate the rest of my life to your service. Well, afterward, he made good on that promise and he began studying the Bible and learning the gospel and so forth. And his life went in a different direction and somewhere along those lines, I don't know the details of it, but he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and genuinely experienced God's grace. Later on in his life, he wrote this famous hymn. This hymn, Amazing Grace, has been one of the most recorded songs in all of, uh, all of the history of recorded songs. Many famous singing artists have recorded Amazing Grace, people such as Elvis Presley, Aretha Franklin, Diana Ross, Alan Jackson, Ray Charles, Willie Nelson, Joan Baez, Andrea Bocelli, Glen Campbell, Johnny Cash, Carrie Underwood. I'm sure that maybe someone there covered your genre of music. These are just a handful of many famous artists that we could mention who have recorded Amazing Grace and included it in one of their albums. But the song truly became famous in the pop music world when a folk singer by the name of Judy Collins, you might remember one of her songs, Here Comes the Clowns, she recorded it in 1970 and included it in an album, and it really just, it took on. This was the time of the Vietnam War. You had singers like Joan Baez who were recording this song as a means of protest of the Vietnam War, but this was not from testimony. Judy Collins didn't included in her recording as a protest, but rather as a means of healing for a nation that was suffering during a very, very um, taxing war. And uh, a broadcaster by the name of Bill Moyers was so intrigued by the popularity of this hymn that he decided to do a documentary, and he proceeded to do that. It was an 80-minute documentary. And this special, get a load of this, it drew nearly five times the audience of other typical PBS specials. That's how popular that this hymn was uh, and is, continues to be, in, uh, in this nation. I think it's safe to say... And I'm not being critical or judgmental, but it's safe to say that most of these artists that recorded Amazing Grace completely missed the true meaning. They sing about it, and maybe they feel something by this song, but they've still missed the real meaning. Before I dive into my points here this morning, I wanna give you a brief definition of grace, okay? Grace is unmerited favor. It's God looking down upon you and I in love and favor in spite of what we deserve. I've been around Christians when you say, hey, how you doing? And they say, a whole lot better than I deserve. And you know, that's an honest answer. We are all doing better than what we deserve. God looks down upon us in grace, and that grace is unmerited. The Bible says clearly and plainly that all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. That's me. That's you. That's everyone. That's your grandpa and your grandma. They sinned. And came short of the glory of God. The best human being that ever lived. Your favorite Bible character. Even if the Bible did not record any blemish on their character. Rest assured that. Bible character was a sinner and did indeed commit some kind of sins in their lifetime. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If God has any favor toward us, it is certainly without merit. We don't deserve it. The second thing is an acrostic, and that is the the words or the letters G-R-A-C-E. I love this definition, even though it's not really a definition, and that is God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, for me personally, that is what grace means to me. It is God's riches toward me, free salvation, free forgiveness, but it's not cheap. It was merited by someone, just not me. It was merited by the Son of God when he paid my penalty on the cross of Calvary. And then on a practical basis, grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I want to tell you here this morning, you cannot clean yourself up and come to God. Self-reform is going to be futile. You're going to fall short in every way. And the same way that you got saved, trusting God to do something that you couldn't, you couldn't save yourself, In the same way we need to all be living our life that I cannot do it, God has to do it for me, in me, and through me. And that is a good understanding of the word grace. But what's so amazing about grace? It's a great question. Number one, we see it in our text here, verse number 11, for the grace of God the grace of God. Number one, it's God's grace. The world sings the song from a standpoint. I'm talking about amazing grace. The world sings it from a standpoint of guilt management. But grace means nothing unless it is associated with God. And God is holy. Oftentimes, you know, you can have feeling and you can sing a song or you can Read a poem, or you can uh, listen to somebody speak, and it can can provide an emotional release. It can make you feel better. But if our understanding of grace is not also associated with God, who is a holy God, we've missed the meaning altogether. The Bible says in John chapter number 1, verse number 17, it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Was there any grace in the Old Testament? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, We we find all kinds of places back in the Old Testament where God extended unmerited favor. Hey, was there any truth in in the Old Testament? Absolutely, all of the Old Testament is true. And so when the Bible says that the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, God's not telling us that grace and truth are a brand new thing here, but rather the grace and truth that came by Jesus Christ is so far superior, it is so far ahead of what anything that the Old Testament law had to offer, that it almost becomes an apparent contrast. It's almost like it's a brand new thing because the level and degree of truth and grace excels anything that man has ever seen before. Roy and Karen Pike from Columbus, Ohio, were killed in a traffic accident while on a vacation trip. And in this vacation trip, they were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. Their three sons, age 20, 17, and 16 found themselves taking the roses that were meant for the anniversary celebration and using them instead for memorial flowers. It fell to 17-year-old Kevin Pike to make the burial arrangements for his parents. At the memorial service, Kevin told how he was experiencing God in the midst of this horrible tragedy. And he said, quote, Right now, I see God as my shelf. Everything on it has been moved around, changed, or broken. And I know that it will always, it's always going to be different and changing more now than ever before. But the shelf that I can put everything on hasn't changed. God is still the same. Every aspect of the idea and concept of grace it must be associated with god or we've missed the boat completely number two in our text we see that the grace of god verse number 11 that it brings salvation for the grace of god that bringeth salvation grace brings salvation I, I, while I prayed, I, I, I prayed that verse of amazing grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Obviously, John Newton was reflecting on what he has experienced as a sinner who sought the Lord and found the answers in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 11 verse number six, it says, "And if by grace, then it is no more of works if I could." Pause, call a timeout for just a moment. There are religions in this world, quote-unquote Christian religions, that talk about grace, but they present a grace that you have to earn. You have to participate in mass or baptism or you have to do certain sacraments or certain religious duties. And by doing those, the idea that they present to their parishioners is that by doing these things, God will put grace on your account. And when you die, if you have more grace than you have offenses, then God will let you into heaven. Folks, that is a misrepresentation totally of the entire concept of grace. How can you say, well, I'm going to do this to earn some grace with God? That's a total opposite. If you can earn it, then it's not grace. And God is making that clear. He says, otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You cannot help the grace of God for your salvation. It's not like God gives you the grace and then you've got to hang on or you've got to perform. God didn't just start this process. His grace is the process. In 1807, at the age of 82, right before John Newton passed away, he wrote these words to be used on his tombstone. Listen closely. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the mercy of our Lord Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, And appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. That was the testimony on his tombstone. Obviously, he had experienced the grace of God that brought salvation. Not only was he pardoned, but his life was changed. The things that he used to do, he did them no longer. Number three. We see that grace is amazing because it appears to all men. Once again, verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I can tell you from experience and observation that the grace of God does indeed appear to all men. It sometimes makes a grand entrance You've been around people that when they enter the room, they have to have a grand entrance. Uh, But sometimes the grace of God, maybe I should say it usually appears as a very still, small voice. But regardless of how the Lord appears in your life, He appears to all men. I was talking to the Lord about this, taking a little memory down a little memory down trip lane. I do that from time to time. You believe me, don't you? While I was taking this memory down trip lane, (laughs) I thought about the time shortly after I graduated high school and I was getting ready to go get involved in some sin that night and the Lord showed up in my life, and it was like it happened yesterday. I mean, he showed up, and it's like the Holy Spirit of God invisibly just smacked me in the face and got my attention, and literally, I, my knees were trembling. And I said, no, God, don't show up now. I knew that God was real, I knew that I was saved, but hey, I had gotten away from the Lord and I was enjoying the pleasures of sin and I had plans for that night. It's like, God, why do you have to show up tonight? We've been looking forward to tonight for three months. Why tonight? And I just shook God off. But you know what, even though I shook him off and I suffered the consequences of it, he didn't didn't leave me alone. He just kept bothering me from that point on. I had guilt over my sin before that, and I had conviction. I knew that the things that I was doing in my life were wrong, but from that moment on, it got pretty intense, and I got pretty miserable inside, and I didn't know what to attribute it to, but God didn't stop bothering me. And I was miserable for a year and a half. I mean, I got to the point just before I turned 20, a few months before my birthday, it's like I just can't keep going on like this. But you know what that was? That was the grace of God that brings salvation appearing to all men. It appeared to me as an 18-year-old young man. I didn't like it, but I look back and it's the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. It was certainly the grace of God. In Genesis 6, 8, we find a very interesting passage of Scripture. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is unmerited favor. God just got through telling all of these positive things about Noah. He was a just man, a perfect man. He was righteous in his generation or perfect in his generations. He was a preacher of righteousness. I mean, if there was ever a human being on planet Earth that would say, hey, that's the best one that... The human race has to offer. Noah was at the top, but it says he found grace. He found unmerited favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a sinner. He wasn't perfect. God had to extend to Noah his grace, his unmerited favor, but he found it. Whenever I read that, I think, well, Noah's life demonstrated that while he found the grace of God, I think he was looking for it. And I know some people say, well, the grace of God has never appeared to me. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you been looking for it? If you'll look for the grace of God, I can assure you on the authority of his word, you're going to find it because the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men." Donald Tippett was the pastor of a church on the Lower East Side of New York City. One Saturday night, three youths came into his church. They beat him severely and even gouged out one of his eyes and dumped him a bloody mess behind a radiator. That's where someone found him later and rushed him to the hospital. Meanwhile, the three boys went upstate and pulled a robbery during which one of them shot and killed a man. The three were apprehended, and the killer eventually executed. Reverend Tippett, who had every reason to hate these youths, succeeded in getting the other two paroled to him, and he treated them as his sons. One of them failed to respond, but the other did respond, and the one that did respond went on to school and became, get this, an eye surgeon." How ironic is that? You know what we see demonstrated in that story? We see the grace of God that bringeth salvation appearing to all men. Well, I haven't... The the grace of God hasn't appeared to me. Oh, yeah, you've experienced his unmerited favor. The Bible says in the book of Acts that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. He gives us good things. Every time you eat a good meal, you know what you're experiencing? The grace of God... Every time you get up in the morning, you're able to get out of bed, and that's the grace of God. If it were not for the grace of God, our lives would be in horrible state. So the grace of God is amazing because, number one, it's God's grace. Number two, it brings salvation. Number three, it appears to all men. But finally, number four, we read here that this grace of God, that it teaches us. Look at it in verse number 12, teaching us. What's teaching us? It's the grace of God. That's the subject matter still at hand. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, look at it with me, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know, we're living in a day where the contemporary Christian music movement has just dominated the churches in this country. And I'm here to say here this morning that the contemporary Christian music movement is not all about music. But the doctrine of the grace of God has been perverted and that perverted doctrine has been promoted. Now, we live in a time where people, I mean, preachers, sadly have fallen into the trap of telling people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And you take a preacher, if he has a little bit of personality, a little bit of charisma, he can make a good living at telling people what they want to hear. He can have a big congregation. He can have some fame and some fortune and a lot of good things just simply by viewing his messages and his teaching on what people want to hear rather than what thus saith the Lord. I mentioned this not long ago, and it's just, it just keeps coming up. I, I drive by it, and I see it again. There's a billboard over in the, the, the Lowe's and Home Depot area. Excuse me, Chick-fil-A. I know everybody can relate to where Chick-fil-A is, right? So everybody goes there because there's always a long line. I almost starved to death one day because the line was so long. Not really, but <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> Over in that area here in town, there's a billboard by one of, the, uh, one of the maybe the larger or largest churches in Iredell County that still quote unquote preach the gospel. And in this sign, it, it's a nice, lovely, well done sign, but here's this couple, and the caption just simply says, You are forgiven. You are forgiven. And every time that I read that, I, I, it just makes me sick because I don't know. You know. I can read it and I can say praise the Lord because I know I'm forgiven, but that's not the message to everyone. Everyone is not automatically forgiven. Listen, when all the people went out to John the Baptist out there in the wilderness, and they all went out to hear what he had to say. He didn't say, you are forgiven. No, he said, repent. Repent, that's the message that we give. Forgiveness is the result of repentance and salvation, but that's not, the forgiveness is not, we don't declare people forgiven. People want to feel forgiven. We live in a culture where people have guilt and remorse and shame and they battle that. But how is the preacher helping someone By telling them, you are forgiven, just continue living the way that you are. You don't need to change. You don't need to repent. They're telling people what they want to hear because people don't want to repent. They want an emotional salve, but they don't want reconciliation with the holy God. That is the biggest issue of the modern contemporary movement. This following quote comes from a modern Bible college student, and it gives a fair representation of what is commonly commonly being taught today, even in independent Baptist churches. This is what this college student, Bible college student, had to say. Another thing that is taught is that if there is a doubt or question concerning practice, standards, or anything else that because we are under grace, we should choose the broader path, otherwise we are still acting under yoke of bondage. In other words, if I think that it's okay to, if I think that it's wrong to do this, but you think it's okay, according to modern contemporary idea of grace, If I think it's wrong and you think it's okay, if I don't just back off and leave it alone, then I'm being, I'm under the yoke of bondage or I'm trying to put you under a yoke of bondage. I would say to that Bible college student, so what are we supposed to do? Throw Romans 14 out of the Bible? Romans 14 makes it clear that there's things that you may see nothing wrong with and other people do, but the principle behind this is truth and charity. We're supposed to be following truth. We're supposed to have charity. I understand that in our movement, we've had plenty of preachers that were legalistic and pharisaical and would indeed put people under yokes of bondage. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right is still right. And we need to preach the truth, and we need to do it in love, not throw, throw it out. This, this modern, listen, a Christian comedian really nailed it with their, they were trying to be funny, but it really is a description of the, this modern corruption of grace teaching. This is what they had to say. When I was a kid, I used to pray every night for a new bicycle. Then I realized that the Lord doesn't work that way. So I stole one and asked him to forgive me. (laughs) You know, we chuckle at that, but that's what modern grace teaching is telling us that that's what the grace of God is all about. That is not what we just read. We just read that the grace of God that brings salvation, it's appeared to all men, but it teaches us that we're supposed to deny ungodliness, and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Listen, much of the debate over quote unquote lordship salvation, I, some of you remember when that was a controversy, uh, most of it is semantics. The real issue is not lordship salvation versus easy believism, it's about repentance as a means to receive the grace of God. You don't re, repentance is not works. You don't get saved or forgiven because of your repentance. But repentance is what qualifies you to experience the grace of God, His unmerited favor in forgiveness. Listen, I wouldn't want to have to choose between the two, but listen, according to this passage we just read, if I had to choose, I'd lean toward the Lordship salvation rather than the easy believism. Name it, claim it, as if, well, if I pray this magical prayer, then I'm on my way to heaven and I can keep living however I want. Folks, that is a corruption and perversion of the grace of God. Well, preacher, if you believe in the grace of God, you just believe that you can get saved and sin all you want and still go to heaven. No, you experience the grace of God, you're going to sin a whole lot more than you want because that grace that you received is teaching you that's the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit inside of us teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Listen, if I deny ungodliness and worldly lust, if I live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, that is not my salvation. It's just simply a result of the grace of God that I already received. We live right because we're saved, because God extended unmerited favor. That's the way that God's plan and process works and anything else is a perversion. Romans 6 verse 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. God forbid. If you have experienced the grace of God It's going to change the way that you live, the way you feel, the way that you think. I thank God that grace taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. God's grace is amazing, not just because it gets us a ticket to heaven and an escape from hell, but God's grace is amazing because it is experiential every single day of the believer's lives. If you've never experienced it, If if you're sitting there going, I really don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I believe in Jesus, but you've never had anything that just supernaturally changed your heart and drew you to him. Listen, you need to chuck that false testimony, that false profession, that name it, claim it thing and say, you know what, I need the real deal because the text that the preacher just read said the grace of God's gonna teach me these things going to draw you it's just going to make sense to live a changed and a different life i highly recommend that you experience the grace of god for yourself then and only then will the grace of god be amazing to you listen it's amazing whether we realize it and recognize it or not it truly is because whether i believe it or not it doesn't change what happened on the cross of calvary But if you want it to be amazing to you, then you've got to repent. You've gotta be willing to say, you know what, I don't want all of that sin and worldliness in my life. I want to be, Uh, look at that in verse number 14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Is that talking about after I get to heaven? Absolutely not. It's talking about what happens to us in the here and the now when we experience the grace of God. In conclusion, if you truly want to understand what's so amazing about grace, then consider the cross of Calvary. God's riches at Christ's expense. You and I are sinners. And we are deserving of hell. I've shared this testimony with you before. My, my salvation testimony is, uh, I had to go through some bouts of confusion with it. Because it was very different than many other people's testimonies. I got right with God in 1986. And I was in Brother Runyon's church. And I would hear some very emotional testimonies about salvation. Preachers would get up and talk about when they got saved and how that they just gripped the pew in front of them and the preacher preached and they finally just turned loose and they came running down the aisles and they, they, they bowed there at the altar and they just wept and they wept and they got up and they said, woo, praise the Lord. And they said, I got gloriously saved. And I remembered vaguely that as a five-year-old boy, I went forward and asked Jesus to be my Savior. I didn't, I don't remember weeping. I certainly didn't shout. I certainly didn't understand everything about it. But I remember that I wanted Jesus as my Savior. And I remember that I really, truly believed that He saved me at that point. And so I would watch that and listen to that, and I'd go, wow, I feel so envious I only got saved. They got gloriously saved. And I thought, what a bummer. I didn't get gloriously saved. And so I tried to get gloriously saved again because I I remember talking to one of the men in the church, talking about all the changes that God had done in my life. I mean, I, I didn't hate going to church anymore. I loved it. I loved reading the Bible, I loved learning about Christ, I I even started witnessing and I started, I had things in my life that I knew were wrong and I started getting rid of them. I asked Brother Runyon, I said, do you think, Brother Runyon, I know you guys go out uh, visiting on Saturday, is that something that I could do? Like, the, you know, the preacher is like, yeah, I think that'd be okay. That's, that's what they're trying to get you to do. He probably had a heart attack that here's somebody actually wanting to do things that Christians are supposed to do. And, but I didn't think I was worthy. I didn't think that I qualified. And it's like, could I, you think I could do that? He never said I should do it. I just, something inside of me said I need to be witnessing, And all of these things that the grace of God did, my life was changing. And I said to this brother in the church, man, I don't know if I was saved before, but I know I'm saved now. And that very instant, it was almost like that time when God showed up when I was 19. And almost like that, it's like something spoke in my ear. Well, if you don't know when, maybe you're not. And then I'd hear other people's testimonies and mine wasn't like theirs. And I started doubting. I lost my assurance of salvation and everything that was going on that God was doing in my life, it's like the whole rug just got ripped out from underneath me. And I went from a direction to serve the Lord and I'm right with God to it's like, I don't know what happened. I was confused. During that year, year and a half period of time, I don't know how many times that I tried to get saved again Lord, would you save me? I want to be gloriously saved. You know, I don't know if I was under deep conviction over my sin when I was five. I just know that I I, I knew I was a sinner. It was so simple as a child, but hearing other people's testimonies and comparing mine to theirs was just very confusing. The whole time, I'm trying to get relief. I'm trying to get answers. And I had almost come to the conclusion that, hey, I want to be saved and God doesn't want to save me. You know what my problem was? He couldn't save me. Again, he'd already saved me. And the Lord's not going to answer a prayer that's not true. If he would have done something for me that he had already done again, then he would have been unrighteous. He He would have been appeasing my unbelief rather than doing what he promised to do. And I, I, I said all of that to say this, here's what finally helped me. I'm trying to get saved again and again. I'm trying to get relief from my doubts and my fears. And I finally, I got tired of that battle and that struggle. I got tired of comparing what God and his grace had done to me to what Others had experienced, or at least what they said they experienced. I found out later that some of them were just embellishing it. It wasn't that way at all. I was just naive and just assumed all these believers, they're, they're all telling the truth. I finally came to the point where it's like, God, I can't keep doing this. I don't know if I just, I'm trying to believe you. I'm trying to trust you. I don't feel this way, but I finally just said, God, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And if you send me to hell, well, that's what I got coming anyways. So I might as well quit kicking and screaming. And it's just like, you know what? If, if, you, won't, if you don't want to save me and I go to hell, then that's what I got coming. That's what I deserve. But God, if I go to hell, I'm going to hell trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior and your shed blood for my sins. Nothing else, not anything that I've done, not anything that I intend to do, but I am trusting Jesus Christ. And it was then and only then that those doubts and those fears started to subside over time. And those fears were replaced by the faith of the word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 5, verse number 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, that's Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Receiving God's grace means receiving Jesus Christ. If you need to receive Jesus Christ as your savior today, I encourage you, I beg you, I invite you, receive his grace, receive Jesus Christ before you leave this place today.